In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with me this evening. Tonight, I am going to be doing a show with someone who I have tremendous amounts of fun with, but that it's also a show that this is, for me, one of my favorite things to do, which is look at information, figure out if it's accurate, go down the rabbit hole and say, what exactly is this information telling me? And I'll tell you what my impetus for this was, that... In the last week, I had three different things in the media, uh, two of them actually coming out of the Wall Street Journal. So that always tells me, mm-hmm, may have something to do with, you know, making money or impacting someone's wallet. And one was on, has the sexual revolution been good for women? And then we had the pros and the cons. And the other, which I loved this article, is called The Web's Cockeyed Cupids. And what it looked at was that the way that they have used algorithms, in other words, the statistical compilation, in order to tell you and put you into a slot and say, voila, here you are, you were matched up with the ideal person, apparently doesn't work. It works for an algorithm, but no shock to any of us who are listening, we are not numbers. And what it showed is that, yes, you may have a, you know, 100% compatibility in this area, but for when they looked at a study of 23,000 married couples, the similarity of personality, which is one of the things that they, you know, use as a main um, determining factor, accounted for only 0.5% of spousal satisfaction which, in other words, 99.5% of the success together was explained by factors typically excluded. And those factors are typically when you are face-to-face with someone. So my guest this evening is my twin sister, Di Padgett, who is the person I call when I have a science question. And the reason I do is she is an auditor and a clinical research auditor, has two science degrees, and 
can explain things of a scientific nature in very straightforward terms. So, I mean, I have a sciences background, but I know many times people, their eyes kind of roll in the back of their heads, not for the reason we would normally talk about, but because they are just overloaded with, this is too much for me. So, Dee Dee, I'm assuming that you are on with me? I absolutely am. Hello, my dear. Hello. So, when we were setting up for this show, what we spoke of is my main point in putting this together is to have you, the listeners, understand, A, that you're smarter than you think, and that when you look at an online study and you look at information, and let's be honest, for the majority of women, when they're going online, they're looking at something for a health issue or something for a family or for you know, them, themselves or for a loved one. And I want to give you ways of looking at something that gives you, A, you know, prepares you and gives you more of what I would call the continuum of information. So when we started, um, and I'll go back and forth because I call Didi, Didi or, or Die, and one of the things that started is when we had The Week magazine, and the, it was an article talking about Raquel Welsh, and you and I both were, were talking about this same article. Well, I actually called you to say, have you seen this? <laughs> exactly. And one of the things that I'm seeing, which what I like about this, is this is a comment from an individual. She's not quoting anything else, but what she is saying is from her own anecdotal awareness is that many men have had and lost their creativity and their ability to you know, do and have their own fantasies in their heads. They download so many things from the adult online industry that they don't even have their own brain that's thinking anymore. So when Dee Dee and I were, were talking about this, I said, oh, that's a good thing to look at. Now, when we go to look for any individual who wants to try and determine what is desire and what is you know, what turns them on, we're looking at a very subjective area, which is something, you know, Didi, when you and I talk about this, how does someone determine that a study that they're looking at, you know, how do they know that they're looking at the real goods? How do they know the information is accurate and it hasn't been skewed by whoever <laughs> wanted it written? Hmm? Oh, excellent question. Um, there's probably three points to make on that. Then the first one is because any research topic, and I'll, I'll define research topic as something that actually uses a study population versus an article that would be an article of interest. Um, okay, and be, the difference, what's a, what's a study population? Well, a study population would be individuals who enrolled in a, um, a clinical trial. Okay for example, um, and there's a, to compare between the two of them, you're going to have the information presented quite differently. Certainly an article in um, a popular magazine could quote um, numbers and statistics and say that, for example, this 
um, mechanical device was found to be, you know, pleasurable or enjoyed by, you know, 57% of the individuals who tried it. I would be very suspect of that because you have no way of confirming what they're saying. They may just, they, you know, they may have asked, you know, eight people off the street to try something. <laughs> Precisely. Oh, trust me, sometimes the numbers aren't even that high. <laughs> no, no I, I, I believe me. Um, we were talking about a, a, a study that has just come out on um, corgasms, but we'll go back to that. So we'll go, we'll, we'll go back to that. So versus the the, the study population that are uh, enrolled in a randomized trial, um, you will be able to tell with some degree of assurity that the clinical trial results have been manipulated statistically, without a doubt. Um, because that's the way the trials are set up. So you really, unless you're the person who's actually doing the clinical trial, it's very difficult to say that those results are valid and actually represent what happened. That's just the name of the game. Okay. So that's the first one. That they, can, they, the first one then is that they look for the number of people who are enrolled in the study or the number of people that they've gotten the information from. Well, how, how well-designed is the study is something that a statistician is going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. The, the concern is what are they presenting as support for the claim that they're making? And even if it's in a research setting, like a clinical trial, or if it's in a, an article that's in a, an, an, you know, a general interest magazine, it's really challenging to believe that those results are accurate, mm-hmm. first thing. And so then the, the second thing that people have to look at, you have to be, you have to be if you're looking for anything on, on, on the Internet, you have to be so aware of what that website's origin is. It could just be someone's own personal opinion, and that you know, goes into the next topic that you were you know, bringing up, the, you know, the corgasms. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> please tell, oh, gentle readers, that we will get to that. Oh, yes. Gentle listeners, that's gentle coming listeners. up. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Stay current, die. Um, and then the, the third is that, that the information is current. And the, one of the things that I did before you know, this evening's uh, program is I went on things like the British Medical Journal just to see what they had in terms of if you, you know, Google British Medical Journal, comma, sexuality. Well, the stuff is from 1995. Well, that's just deliciously outdated. So don't even bother with that. And, well, here's the other thing that often happens that I know as a result of being on the leadership council for the first endowed chair in human sexuality, um, sexual health, is that there has been a tremendous, tremendous drop-off in the amount of uh, education and sexual health education that med students will be getting. That has dropped off. And so if that's dropping off in that area, then there isn't going to be the money that's going to be coming in That because most times for studies, they're looking at this as how can I get this incredibly intelligent, well-trained group of people to look at this in order to validate creating a product that can be sold. I mean, if we, you know, we probably have one, we have one minute until our first break, but what, and listen, here's the thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with making money. That's why we entrepreneurs exist. Hello, and thank you very much. 
but what I also know, and you know, it, you know, in your auditing work, I mean, in everything you've put together, and you've told me some things that are like, yikes, when the person comes in and says, you know, biostats want you to change that number. <laughs> and But what I know is that we need to be able to, A, if we can't trust them immediately, we need to know how to go and trust our own judgment when we're looking at information that's impacting our body and our sexual function and the sexual health of our families, because that's what we want. Now, we are going to be going to our break here in about 10 seconds. My guest this evening is Di Paget, who happens to be my twin sister. She is in Toronto. She is an auditor for clinical trials, and we will come back right after. Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 central here on toginet.com. holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. 
And thank you for being with us. My guest this evening is Di Paget, and just a little FYI, you know, part of the veracity that she has with her scientific work is she has two nursing degrees, a an RN and a BN. And should anyone wish to call in and ask their own questions, the call in number is eight seven seven eight six four forty eight sixty nine. Repeating again. 877-864-4869 or you, you know, toginet.com and go into the chat area. So before we took our break, we were talking about the, the differences that, you know, you, you want to be able to know for your sexual health, you're getting the right information. So, and you want to know that it's timely and you want to know that it's specific. So on our break, we were referring to the, um, the ads and the media comments on Gardasil, the vaccine for um, cervical cancer, ostensibly for cervical cancer, for human papillomavirus infections. And I'm going to go to where I use my information. I do not recommend that people get this vaccine. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm going to use the information from Dr. Diane Harper, and that's H-A-R-P-E-R. She is an MD who is also one of the main researchers on the development of the Gardasil vaccine. And she herself states that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that outdoes the screening process of a pap smear. And what you and I both know is that women who do not have their own sexual agency and do not have their own ability to make choices about their sexual health and their sexual behavior, immigrant populations, women who are coming in who don't speak a language or women who do not have um, access to good um, health care, those are the women who are disproportionately represented in a population who would have cervical cancer. Now, let's add one more little statistic to it, and these are stats from Center for Disease Control, CDC, and NIH, National Institutes of Health. The average age of diagnosis for cervical cancer is 47. It's not 9 and 11. And what I want people to know is they have really, when you look at these ads, they literally tell you, I don't want to be one, I don't want to be one. So they're plucking at the heartstrings of... um, telling you this, but what they don't tell you is the impact of what these vaccines can do and that you don't have to have them. If I were to tell you how many women tell me that when they go in for a, um, a checkup or something, one of the first things they get told is how many vaccines they're supposed to have. And if people want to have vaccines, you know, go for it. But I think you need to have a better idea of what exactly is in those syringes before you get them. The stuff that's in there is not safe for you. The person I will rely on for that information is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and that's S-H-E-R-R-I, surname T-E-N-T-E-N-N-Y. And she has written a book saying no to vaccines, but I started looking at this long before because I started seeing women who were being told constantly for the health of their small children, they were supposed to be giving them a vaccination for something that they probably weren't going to be exposed to for another eight years. And so that's something that I, I want people to know 
where they can go and get information. And a lot of the sites online are going to be sites that are going to tell you, and again, look at who funds them, okay? Well, I mean, that's, that's what we talked about. That's an excellent point. Now, to, to jump back to your comment about the HPV, mm-hmm. the human papillomavirus, um, if um, your listeners go to Science Daily, there mm-hmm. is um, uh, there is uh, like so www.sciencedaily.com. Mm-hmm. The 14th of March, 2012, the there are new cervical cancer screening guidelines and Mm -hmm. in there is where they recommend that you know when women should start having their you know screening and it's they recommend at the age of 21 and then as opposed to having it tested every year they're saying have a pap test every three years and then the other thing at the one of the points they make is that it takes generally 10 to 20 years for cervical cancer to develop. Mm -hmm. And if you have overly frequent screening, it can lead to procedures you don't need. Right. That's Diane Harper also spoke about that. So I, you know, here's the thing. If we were, the important thing is, is these are your, um, these are choices you can make, but they are also things that we are often Told things by people who have the the agenda is to sell the vaccines and let's be let me be really honest here. If a physician has those vaccines and they are being sold that vaccines, that's called I have an inventory of product, and then that means that inventory of product has to be sold to the client, to the customer, who is the person coming in, and you know you don't go and take it. And that's the thing we need. In my mind, we need to bring back our own agency about our own our own bodies and our own sexual function. We've given too much of it away, and that's why I want people to look at these studies. I want them to look at things and go, hmm, are they really telling me the truth? Now, if you go online, we were talking earlier, yeah, on Psych Central, you're going to see a number of different articles. Now, I'll give people the recommendation that I got from Dr. Beverly Whipple. And she said, yes, it's nice if you're, and this is the woman who named the G-spot the G-spot. Yes, it's nice if you've got, you know, an article written by someone. But what you really need to do is go and get the actual paper. Read the paper. Do not assume that that the information that someone has put through their eyes and put down absolutely is is accurate now tell me when you are doing the you know when you've done your you know your clinical trial auditing work how often are there questions in there that have anything to do with sexual function well in my previous life as a study coordinator where i actually did the hands-on work with patients mm-hmm. uh very, very rarely. It was only in a couple of cardiac uh, trials where there was even any question about the compound, and that was because these were individuals who'd had heart attacks. And that's mm-hmm. and historically, that's one of the few places in uh, um, you know medical practice that individuals are asked about their. Um, sexual functioning is m- males who've had heart attacks. No. Right, not women. No, no. 
Um, and did they have did they have women in these studies in the cardiac studies? In those, no, no women were excluded. Because tell me why they were excluded, Dee Dee. Well, because they could possibly have gotten pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, most of them were in their mid forties, so probably not. But they um, still could. But but they were but the you know the women that I saw but they were excluded because they um, had, were not menopausal or had not been surgically sterilized. Okay. So, but here's the other thing. When we look at, so they're talking to these men and they ask them in this cardiac study. And because yeah. I know you have said women are often excluded from studies of products because they can get pregnant. So if you're 13 to 50, you're going to be excluded if you're female. And then what they will and, do is... I mean, is that, is, that a, is that sort of like a correct or like a, a, a blanket? And that's blanket, but, it, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge is, is that you will be excluded as a female from that clinical trial, and then they will turn around and market the drug to you. Right. And um, the impact of that is um, uh, tetragenic? Tetragenic. Tetragenic. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that a, if a woman is consuming that drug or compound and becomes pregnant, if a compound is teratogenic, it has devastating impact on the developing fetus. Because up until, I think it is at six weeks in the organogenesis creates the development of the organs, that is when there is the issue. Is it six weeks until three months? It's the first trimester. Right. And, I mean, and, that's when organogenesis, yeah. the development of the, the um, organs, yeah. is, is taking place. Now, so here we have these... So, I mean, that's another thing that's... We're so, getting and things, and a, good, a good example of that is um, thalidomide. Right, which they gave to women for nausea. Yeah. Minor problem. Now, we have two minutes until our halftime break. Okay. One of the things that I wanted to go over with you is if you were, you know, if someone is looking at a study, how do they find out who funded it? Where did they look? Let's say, okay, they read an article and it goes, it says here that if you do this, it's going to be one of the best things for you, blah, blah, blah. So you go, okay, look at the study, find the person. You find it on Scholar Google. You find it on something. You go in, you know, you should be able to find it, you know, anywhere. Where do you look? We have one minute for you to tell people. Where do they look? The end of the article? Usually, if it is a if it's a scholarly article, meaning that it's a, a, a group of individuals who are presenting themselves as uh, MDs, PhDs, or, or individuals with degrees who are doing the research, they will cite in the title, they'll have an uh, indicating at the bottom of the article, it will tell you what is the uh, affiliated institution who that they're with. Right. But in terms of funding... That will you will only find that out if they disclose it. It's becoming uh, a, there's a big push for that, but some people still don't disclose that they are being funded by um, someone they may have a conflict of interest with. Right, and we know we have probably five seconds until our break. We know that when they do studies, that whoever does the funding of it, invariably they get exactly what they want in the results so they can sell things and make it valid. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on TogiNet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Togenet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. Tonight, my guest is Di Paget, uh, two nursing degrees and 20 years as work in a clinical research area as a mo- um, monitor and then as an auditor. I know there's one other category, correct? <laughs> I was a coordinator. Coordinator. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> I that, that's, that's that hands-on person that actually works with folks. Yes, exactly. So one of the things, before we took our, our um, break, we were talking about, yes, yeah, so you can find out when you look at a study. So you get Scholar Google, you get on somewhere, and you say, okay, sure enough, we see that this person, little asterisk, and it says this person is associated with such and such. Now, what I'd like to do if someone has... You know, someone in their family who is a demon on the internet, sick them on finding who funds the labs, who gives the funding into labs. There has to be a way to find that. Because I know when I was in my hard sciences area, you knew who paid to have studies done. Absolutely. And that will tell you 
who has, it's, again, it's no different than anything else. Follow the money. It will tell you where people are coming from. So when you were talking, you, we, before we got on um, the show, we were also talking about the dsm four. Now, you were making a comment about that? Well, the, the, the dsm four itself is, uh, that's the, uh, it's produced by the American Psychiatric Association. And the dsm four tr which stands for text revision, that version is that it DSM stands for Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, and there's criticism of it, and and we won't go into whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. But the DSM-4 is used to provide a framework for uh, diagnoses in mm-hmm. the psychiatric realm, and. What they do have is they have a section on sexual and gender identity disorders. Mm-hmm. Now, this and what version, axis do they put that? Because, you know, they go, like, is this an axis one or an axis two something? I'm like, now I'm in the field and I get lost. Well, there's axis one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, and essentially what you're looking at is all the other aspects that could be impacting this individual's life in addition to their primary diagnosis. Okay. So, you know, for example, if someone has um, diabetes, that, that's going to be something you're obviously going to be very concerned about because that's going to impact practically everything else in their life. Including and, their ability to have erections, to feel, uh, um, everything. Oh, yeah, the, the, because the cardiovascular profile with folks who are diabetic is the, the potential for them to have um, an impact there is, is, is incredibly significant. So that would be, for example, that would be under Axis 3. But to, just to shift back to the DSM-4, they have a, a whole category on sexual and gender identity disorders. The most important thing for people to know is that they have a phrase underneath essentially each one of these that it says, this is a concern if the disturbance causes marked distress or interpersonal difficulties. And there's, there's aspects in here that they go into that as one individual, and it's a, a gentleman who has a, a comment on Psych Central, and that's a site that people can go to. So it's P-S-Y-C-H-C-E-N-T-R-A-L.com slash sex. And it's a fellow by the name of Groal, G-R-O-H-O-L. And his comment is, is that, you know, if this isn't creating a problem for you, it's not a problem. It's not a disorder. And, but you also said it is something that it is the cautionary tale, is cautionary statement, is that these are guidelines. Exactly. And, and so don't give your health and your sexual health and your sexual functioning over to someone just because they have a Ph.D., Ask some questions and say, I don't feel this applies to me. Well, and, and I, some of the real concerns with the DSM, it's four now and five is going to be coming out in 2013, uh, 2013, I should say. And what they talk about is that they have a very broad range of what they define as being normal versus a condition, and the individuals who are using it, 
sometimes may not have sufficient training to make that call. And there's also, there's a lot of medicalizing of normal human condition. Thank you. for women. Uh-huh. You know, the, you know, the, <laughs> you know, female sexual arousal disorder. Um, okay, that's, okay, let me jump in on that one. <laughs> that is where they took uh, a study. It's the Lauman study, L-A-U-M-A-N-N. And what they did is they took like one question out of this huge survey and reworked the numbers. And what they did is they asked women, if over the last, I think it was the last six months, if you'd had any of the following happen, have you had no desire for sex? Have you had loss of libido? Have you had inability to have an orgasm? Have you felt disconnected? I mean, really, they were questions that... For most women, if you have a job, if you are have a family, if you're doing other things, at some point during the six months, chances are, yeah, you had one, two, or three of these things. And what they did is that if you were a woman who answered yes to any one of those, you were considered to have a sexual dysfunction. That is the magical 43% of women with a sexual dysfunction. There is no such thing as a sexual dysfunction if you don't think it is. Hello, let's, knock, knock. Let's and, hear it for stats. And really, I mean, what is it? Who was it? Will Rogers who said lies, damn lies, and statistics? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what I want people to know is, you know what? You're a lot smarter, and you're a lot more savvy. And please, please, please trust your gut reaction when you're listening to this stuff. And then they talk of women going on and being on so many more medications, you know, and. One of the reasons the women often end up being on more medications is women are the one who is, you know, who are often responsible for taking care of the health of the family. So they go in and look after their kids, and their kids are being told, well, they have this or they have that behavior, and the parents go, oh, my God, so do I. Yeah, and that adult, you know, attention deficit disorder, that know, just, didn't that come just right out of left field when all of their children were being diagnosed with that? And, and we know, and I'm going to use, you know, a woman who is one of the top attention people, um, experts in this country, um, Alice Aspen March. And when they were first talking about attention deficit, Alice just looked at me with this very dry look and she goes, Lou, let me tell you, the number one thing that takes care of attention deficit is attention. And what we have is we have a bunch of little guys, boys, who are being medicated to within an inch of their eyeballs and in order to make them stay still in a school. Well, exactly. little boys are not designed to sit still. They no. didn't, most women who have ever been pregnant know little boys, woo, they sort of roar around even, you know, in utero. So we well, and, and the other category that just sends me over the edge are the number of people who are are diagnosed as having and this is over through media this is not through someone saying you have a you know uh you know a depressive disorder there's bona fide individuals who have that and uh, having worked in psychiatry that would be the last thing that i would say is that someone should be self-diagnosing my concern is how pharma is marketing to people through media and saying, do you have any of these? Because what they've done is they have, the patent has expired on many medications. Now what they're doing is they're doing direct to the patient marketing. So you have individuals out there 
that are literally saying, yeah, it's been very stressful. I think I have whatever. Blah, that. blah, blah. And, and that's exactly the decision they want you to make. They're there to make money. And the, then the best thing that they could do is get you an adult on something for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. And antidepressants are one of the most unbelievable destroyers of people's intimacy. Um, they're there. They are off the charts, and what people don't realize is that if they, and I'm going to use the information from Dr. Stuart Shipko, S-H-I-P-K-O, who is an MD psychiatrist here in Pasadena, and in the work that Audrey Barrick did and he published, showing that when you go on, and these are people who had no had no meds that they were on, they were young, they were totally sexual functioning, they were perfectly fine, and as a result of going on the meds, they lost their the, the antidepressants, numbed them out, they no libido, anorgasmic, no sensation, genital anesthesia. The man when he went off was you know, they were both told they were depressed, he got the majority of his sex, sexual functioning back. She did not. And that, I think, is what people have to realize. I have people, when I do my presentations and I'm speaking, I tell them, if you are having an issue and they have put you on meds, please look at that as something and then find out. Be responsible. This is not about going off your meds right away because your brain chemistry has been altered. And in some cases, you have totally lost your ability to have an orgasm. I am sorry to tell you that. A 50 to 80% who have one of the impacts with antidepressants, loss of libido, loss of desire, um, anorgasmia, and genital anesthesia, of the 50 to 80%, when you go back off of the drug, for 50%, it's permanent. I am sorry to tell you that, but that is what is happening, and they don't tell you. So we're probably coming up to having our final break here. <laughs> now, and we're going to have a very, very happy final section because we're going to be talking about all the things that science tells us that does work and the things that in the studies that that's, we're going to talk about the corgasms. Don't worry, that's next. And we have 10 seconds. My guest this evening is Di Paget. She is my sister in Toronto, uh, two nursing degrees, clinical research auditor, and she is my touchstone for when I need some scientific information. I'll go, what is this study actually telling me? Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on TogiNet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life. 
to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Age Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Age Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is certified as a life coach who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on Juliana and her show, check out her website, connectwithjuliana.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, I'm speaking with Di Paget and going over, for me, what some of the most recent media articles have been and how they are relating to our sexual health. But over the break, Didi, you were talking about the DSM-5, and you said it's Kim Fong who's going to be presenting at Quad S? Yes. Okay. Um, and Quad um, S is an organization, a peer organization that I'm part of. I'm part of. I'm an ASEC certified sex educator, American Association Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. That's A-A-S-E-C-T dot org. And Quad S is the Society for Scientific Study of Sexuality, and that's sexscience dot org. Tag, Didi, you're it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just for folks who may not have listened to um, an earlier part of the program, the DSM-4-TR, which stands for Text Revision, is a, an American Psychiatric Association tool that's used to diagnose um, individuals in the area of psychiatry. And there's a section that they have that is on sexual and gender identity disorders. Now, the most significant thing about that is that there's many diagnostic areas under that, but the significant part is it really is not an issue if it is not a disturbance that causes marked distress or interpersonal difficulties. And, you know, to, to say that people, when they're given a label um, or, uh, as, a, as a diagnosis uh, in psychiatry, that's pretty potent stuff. And the Quad S meeting that's coming up the 21st of April, there's an individual by the name of Tim Fong, he's an MD, and he's going to be presenting because the DSM-4 TR is going is soon to be revised and replaced by the DSM-5. Now, individuals listening may have heard people 
And certainly there's lots in the media that says, that, you know, frequently it's a man saying that he is sexually addicted. And that's a very value-laden comment to make about someone. Um, and frequently it's, it's, um, it's being uh, presented by individuals who say, I can treat you for a sexual addiction. But what Tim Fong is going to be talking about is that the DSM-5 has a proposed classification for hypersexual disorder, which I think is the DSM-5's response to the great push for having some category for sexual addiction. I think it's that our society has become so exposed, if you will pardon the term, to sexuality thanks to um, media and the Internet. There is no escaping it. Well, and, and the other thing, when we look at people telling someone that they are a sex addict, that is not a diagnostic term. And no, the people not. who are usually saying it are someone who has caught someone masturbating and they're, they're like sideways about it and upset and goes, oh my God, you're obviously a sex addict, which brings in all of the things that we as sex educators work so hard to tell people to normalize and to have people realize, you know, you know, not to have the shaming. Look, if you're doing that to the exclusion of being with someone, yeah, you might have an issue. But, you know, for the majority of people, this is something that they do as part of knowing their own body. And many men who are married and very happily married or in long-term relationships masturbate even if they're having sex regularly. The same thing for women. Yep. So now, I'm just going to, shall I just leap in here? And, but I think the hyper sexual, sexuality is something that, you know, uncontrolled or compulsive, impulsive behavior is something that is a term that we do know in the area of, of sexual therapy. But I, I'll tell you, anyone will, if were to ask me, the term sexual addiction is a flashpoint, hot point, that there are many in my field who disagree vehemently that that term should even be allowed. And then there are those who go with the 12-step program attitude and say, well, we're going to use the 12-step program. I would suggest that if people think the 12-step program is so valid for everything, go and look at their stats and see how effective 12-step programs are for people who are addicts. It's not that high. Now, okay? where, would I find those, where would I find those stats? I don't know, but I, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. Question. Good question. Good question. homework. That's exactly. Core <laughs> orgasm. Core orgasm. Okay. I'm sorry to wait until the very end of the show about this. There is an article that was just on, um, I think it was on um, Psych Central. Was it on Psych Central or Science Daily? Anyway, the important thing about this, it's from um, Indiana University, and one of the people who is part of the study is Dr. Debbie Habernick, who is a phenomenal researcher. And what they were looking at is the number of women who reported having an orgasm during uh, a working out time. And one that would be, um, it just sort of like occurs out of boot. And a lot of times it is occurring when someone is in a physical activity, um, doing crunches, during yoga, using what they call the captain's chair. That's the thing where you hang and, you know, then you bring up your legs. And the thing behind it is that I'd heard of people talking about this and it's something that they don't expect to have happen and for some women and men you know they're they don't have any control over it it just occurs 
The main thing behind corgasms is if you think about it, our bodies are designed to have lots of oxygen and lots of blood going through it. And an orgasm is powered by blood and oxygen. And what is happening when you're working out? More blood or oxygen. And when you are doing the crunches, what that is what is happening is you're tightening all of the musculature that's in the lower pelvic floor. And it is it's on science daily. Yeah, okay. And it is the it's a contraction of those muscles when you are doing that tightening, those are the PC muscles, which FYI, for many women, the way that they can initiate an orgasm when they, if they are masturbating with a partner is if they start contracting their PC muscle the way they would with Kegel exercises. That is often a kickstart or the thing that, that trips the orgasm to occur. So what, um, do you have the article up there in front of you, Didi? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's so, the 19th of March, 2012, Science Daily. Okay. And she said that there were, you know, they, it didn't take them very long to get, you know, how many did they get, 300 plus women? Uh, it took them about five weeks, she said, to, to get these women, which it's more common and more commonly you know, occurs uh, 246 women mm-hmm. within five weeks, which is, as uh, Debbie Habernick says, so obviously it's more common than, you know, people had expected. Mm-hmm. Again, the important thing about that article that I like is it normalized something that many people did not speak about, women and men, and it brought it forward from a standpoint of they had no vested interest in it other than an observation of humanity. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the important thing with any of the information that we get that impacts our health and our sexual health. And, you know, we've spoken about this for years, is that with my work with the Leadership Council that has just created the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health, Joycelyn Elders as the former Surgeon General and Dr. David Satcher as also the former Surgeon General, they both had a platform and a focus of sexual health. And because we can't separate that from what the rest of us is. So if we get this information, I want people to know, go and find some, go and find that information. Send me an email. I'll track down what I need to, to, to get it back to you. But I want people to be comfortable and to know that science is there to support you. It isn't just there to sell someone else's product. And I, I made a mistake. It's 370 women. Okay. Who they, it took them five weeks to recruit 370 women. I got to tell you, that is really remarkable. As you know, for recruiting and getting people into studies. Yeah. Now, if you were to create a study to look at, we have three minutes until our outro. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're going to create a study on female sexuality. What kind of a study might we put together? Oh, what fun. Can you ask me with three minutes? <laughs> okay, let's say we would ask, and we're going to look at things from a subjective standpoint, because we have to, because it's on what feels good for them, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we're going to, we would create a study that looks at the positive, positive side of things, because enough of this negative side, right? Well, and I think that's the other issue, is that the majority of of responses have tried to look at things that are objective and therefore measurable. And, you know, other than, you know, 
blood flow and, you know, actual physical contractions, um, the majority of the response is something that is highly subjective. Thank you. And female orgasm is very different from male, male orgasm in that the female orgasm is felt, you know, more of the internal. There isn't that thing like, woohoo, let's have, you know, ejaculation, which, can I tell you, the training women how to be ejaculators is a little bit of a sore spot with me. So we've got, we're going to, I'm going to look at, I want to, you know, I mean, your homework is to look at the 12-step success rates. And mine, is to, mine is to develop a, um, a study for um, women's sexual pleasure. Uh-huh. Huh. I oh, like no. mine better. <laughs> I think you are going to have a little more fun with yours. But what I'd also like people to know, when you're looking at a study that tells women about their sexual function, please keep in mind that all of the sexual function you know, the foundation of it has been built based on male sexual function, not female sexual function. So it's been based on men having erections. I don't know a woman alive who goes, oh, my goodness, my clitoris is engorged. I must be excited. And then it's also based on the, you know, the amount of time until ejaculation. Well, women can feel, you know, women have their desire cycle often start as they're in the activity, and that is work of Rosemary Besson, University, you know, University of British Columbia. We have probably 30 seconds. We have 30 seconds left. Okay. So, Dee, Dee, what would you like people to know when they're looking at a study? Uh, trust yourself. Read the, the information and what the source is. Do your homework. Thank you. Do your homework. I mean, this was the, I love being a student and I love being educated. And thank you so much for being with me this evening. You're welcome. And then we'll catch up as soon as we are off the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us. My guest is Di Padgett. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 